0: Hi, in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground of mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. My reading today is from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and through God we are making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My guest today is Pastor Brent Christensen, author of The Good Grief Devotional, 52 Weeks Toward Hope. Brent D. Christensen is a retired pastor. He's an Evangelical Lutheran Church of America person who served parishes in Wisconsin and Minnesota for 10 years and in campus ministry for 25 years. His poetry has been published in books and journals, and he has also written studies for the ELCA. His Good Grief... Devotional offers wise, honest compassion to those who struggle with death of a loved one, and even things like divorce, the loss of a job, and also other major life transitions. Pastor Brent has 52 devotions, and they follow 10 stages of grief outlined by Granger Westberg's helpful book, Good Grief. Pastor Brent, what role can you tell us about the original book? When I read about your book, it keeps talking about that there is a book called Good Grief that Granger Westberg wrote. Can you give us a little bit of background about that and then how your book sort of plays into that?
1: I sure can. First of all, thank you for allowing me to do this. Um, The snow is almost gone here in Northfield, Minnesota, so it's fun to talk to somebody in a more temperate climate. Yeah, it's a sunny Um, sky
0: out here in Oregon.
1: That's Good. Well, Granger Westberg it was one of our own, and Lutherans tend to be kind of shy. He was a chaplain in Chicago um, in the hospitals and realized in dealing with people uh, with grief that there were certain almost predictable stages that you would encounter. But he also noticed at the time, this was 50 years ago, that there was a fairly strong element in, among all christians to say if you really believe you won't grieve hmm. and grieving is a sense of weakness so he wrote a book called good grief he he got there before peanuts did oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, saying that you know, grief is a necessary process for all of us we we experience things in life losses not just of uh, friends and family but Homes and um, old identities and that sort of thing that we need to grieve. And uh, when I was in the seminary from uh, 1975 to 79, that was a book that we we uh, used very closely in our pastoral counseling classes because back then most of us were young sprouts and not terribly familiar with grief, and it helped us. Um, gain some sensitivity to looking back in our own life to our own grief, but also to the grief of people we encountered.
0: So your book, it's a companion to good grief, and I know you begin each stage, you have a reflection of the aspect of grief, and then you consider the stage what it means for the readers to have sort of self-understanding and relationships with other people and creation with God. It's moving. It's fantastic. And how each devotion ends, I think you put a question out there to talk with another person and have healing actions. And tell me more of how this all developed.
1: Well, I think it it develops as it does for all of us as we live. And we, um, we find that life can be marvelous and messy sometimes at the same time. And uh, when an editor contacted me with the possibility of writing this, I I submitted a few proposals. But uh, the one that they accepted was the one that you mentioned, that we have our primary relationships. As uh, people of faith, we believe our primary relationship is with God. But as human beings, we understand that we live life in these bodies (laughs) that are our own and so I thought, you know, introduce the stage of grief that, that Westberg had, had mentioned, but also write about um, how this, what this does to me as a person when I'm feeling this and what this uh, does to my relationship with other people and also what it does in our relationship to the creation because that's um, an element that's really essential for us in our relationship with God. And I had a wonderful editor who kept me on track and would not be afraid to say, this makes no sense. <laughs> uh, so I could change and and uh, make, I think, more real to human experience.
0: Well, it's really clear that you believe that slowing down and taking the book, just one devotional at a time for a true 52 weeks towards hope, is really the most helpful.
1: Well, you know, I'm an obedient Lutheran, too, and <laughs> that was a suggestion. Rules, right. Although... Well, and for me, this would, this would work the best to spend a week with each chapter and uh, take my time with it, um, think it through, um, talk it through. But I, I just received uh, communication from a pastor of a former parish who um, uh, told me that she had been working with somebody who had been grieving her husband for two years, and nothing was happening. And so she uh, had my book on her desk and gave it to her, and the woman came back the next week and said, I went through half of that book in two days. <laughs> and, and I'm finding it the most healing thing I've ever experienced. So I think we have our own pace. For me, uh, I, I think I would take it slowly, and, um, and maybe as a retired person I can do that. But I, I hope that people who use this book will uh, pay attention to their own pace, And also pay attention to where they might be. You don't have to take it from one to two to three to four, but to uh, look at the topics and say, I think I I need to look at this.
0: And that makes sense. And how you wrote it is you have stages. You have... Um, You know, stage one, for instance, where you talk about we are all in a state of shock. And then you go into a couple more stages and how we either we struggle to affirm reality or um, maybe if you're feeling full of anxiety, you are a stage Mm -hmm. about why we're panicky. So you could jump through and there's about five Mm -hmm. different devotions underneath each category of stages. Uh, You know, I found the same thing that the person said who had this on their desk. It's the same thing. When I was reading this, I thought, wow, not only does this guy get it and not not only do you use, you have such a beautiful balance of biblical and you have some scholarly and then you have wonderful stories, a lot of anecdotes in there. And people love stories. And I find st- mm-hmm. stories are just so healing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one you have in there, which I really love. And you're talking about the little prince. And there's a book yes. of the same name in that character and how he mentions on his little asteroid planet. He watched the sunset 44 times in one day because it is good to watch the sunset when one is sad. And I I pondered that and I thought about that and thought, okay, so then I had to pick up The Little Prince and find that reference too and realize that is brilliant. And then I thought to myself, well, where do I go when I feel sad? And would it be watching the sunset? So my question, I think I want to ask you too, when you wrote that, did you think about where you go when you're
1: sad? I, I look back over my life. And I was raised in Lacrosse, Wisconsin. The Mississippi River is on the west side, and the gorgeous bluffs of the um, the driftless area of Wisconsin on the other. And we could walk to either one in two minutes. And so there was wilderness available when I was a child. And I was raised in a family of nine children in a two bedroom house, <laughs> so uh, solitude was rare. Um, when I didn't recognize it at the time, but when I needed to grieve, when I needed to um, uh, think about things, sometimes I'd grab my guitar and go to the bedroom when the other brothers weren't around and play. Sometimes I would get on the bike and ride around lacrosse. Um, Sometimes I would go up in the bluff. Uh, As I got older, uh, and I think I really need to have nature nearby. I love trees. When we lived in Madison, Wisconsin, we were always close to uh, fairly large parks, and um, when I needed to to think things through, uh, I would go for long walks in the woods, and I found the presence of trees to be very healing, and it was a, a good place to pray.
0: I can tell your oneness with nature. You have a lot of poetry in this book. Not only is it just fabulous poetry, and I really love it, but I read it and think, yeah, I can get that. And the imagery is really, really rich and lush. There is one here that I really love called Full Moon Hidden by Clouds. Would you be open to me reading that?
1: Oh, absolutely, please.
0: Okay, wonderful. So this is in the depression and creation section Mm -hmm. when the full moon is hidden. And page 62, here we go. Passion felt but unspoken, perceptions remaining silent, problems unacknowledged, full moon hidden by clouds, talent undernourished, tenderness kept in check, together prevented, full moon hidden by clouds, peace unsought, people unnoticed, patience not tried, full moon hidden by clouds, faith untested, freedom not granted, Fantasies not honored. Full moon, hidden by clouds. Lights left dim. Lives left diminished. Longing, left longing. Full moon, hidden by clouds. Just beautiful. What is that all about? Obviously a full moon hidden by clouds, but get get a little deeper here for us.
1: There's something beautiful out there and I can't see it. Um, oh. I, I, I think... Um, Westberg deals with that, and and it could be the same stage, that people get to a point of saying there's nothing worth looking for, there's nothing beautiful, the world is all bad. And he compared it to um, somebody on a cloudy day saying there is no sun. And his response was, well, yes, there is a sun, you just can't see it now. And so I I thought about that, um, and we'd been through a stage when we lived in Wisconsin of... Every time the beautiful full moon showed up, we'd have clouds. (laughs) So I thought, you know, that is a bit of what it feels like to be depressed, Mm. that there's something beautiful out there, but it's hidden. And I think that's what brought that poem about.
0: Oh, thank you for explaining
1: that. That's you know well, thank we could. You for read, it's so good to hear somebody else read your poetry. Neat.
0: Oh, that's fun. You know, I I write. I don't write much poetry. Everybody sort of thinks they're a poet and they know it, so to speak. But when I read this, it's really gripping, and you obviously have a handle on this. So thank you for allowing me to read that. And there's actually another one I will ask and get to in a bit. I I do want to ask you too, since you're talking about Wisconsin, there was a day in small-town Wisconsin when you were working as a guest pastor in a church, and you saw the bird's nest? Do you know what I'm referring Uh, to?
1: Oh, yes. I want to hear the story. Well, there was a wonderful little congregation. When I was a campus pastor in Madison, one of the joys was to go out on Sundays when the students were sleeping in (laughs) and preaching in congregation. So Spring Green is a very Christ Lutheran Church, a very active congregation in a small-town And in the front of the church behind the altar was a a large um, glass cross, uh, translucent and not stained glass. And I forget the text that day, but um, I got up to preach, and as I was going there, I looked, and a robin was feeding its young in the nest. (laughs) So I looked at the people, and I said, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but look what that mother bird is doing out there. Said, you can listen to my sermon, or you can watch the bird, and you might get more from the bird of what God is like. <laughs> they knew me fairly well, and they laughed, but I think that that tender and simple image of the, the mother bird, I'm assuming it was a robin feeding um, its young in the nest, um, just still clings to me.
0: Did people get out of their pews and come up, or was it actually that large of a window? They could see this. They could see it.
1: They could see it right behind me.
0: (laughs) A message for everybody, right there, framed in a window. Isn't that interesting Mm -hmm. how sometimes these things, it's like a neon sign stop what you're doing? And this could be a daily devotional too. Just open your eyes, right? Unplug Mm -hmm. and open your eyes. Mm -hmm. Take a look at that. Wonderful. So in the general sense, I find devotionals are really written to meet every need and stage of a Christian walk. Do you find it an easy task for people in need to find devotionals that are really focused on spiritual growth?
1: Well, before I left uh, Madison, I spent 25 years working with people between the ages of 18 and 28. And um, a lot of the grief work for them had to do with the the death of parents grandparents the ending of relationships a failure in a class that sort of thing for 2 months after i retired i was asked to fill in as a visitation pastor at a church there dealing with people between the ages of 88 and 100 and one of the one of the women just a wonderful older woman wanted me to put together readings from the psalms and the hymns and scripture. She said, I, I look through the Bible and I know what I'm looking for, but I can't find it. And um, she died before I could put that together and I've moved. But I, I think there, there are so, so many gems in um, in the scripture, in the Psalms especially, in, in the hymns we sing, but I think also in the poetry that people have written that provides uh, a gateway to insight and a gateway to your own spirituality. Um, I, and I, I, I don't know really how involved people are in reading devotional material. There's a lot of really bad stuff out there. <laughs> I used to joke I wasn't a good enough poet to write religious poetry <laughs> mm. because it, it, there's some really not very good religious poetry, but there's also some, there are some really fine devotional materials out there. And um, I I, I, my, I, don't know for sure, Elizabeth, how open people are to that. I, I hope they become more open.
0: So, of course, I need to ask you then, what is your favorite devotional?
1: Well, I think probably the one that you read the Scripture for. Oh. <laughs> um, when you started reading that, I thought, oh my, it's... Um, Number 26, A Healing Voice, Panic and God. Mm. That's uh, the letter I imagine somebody uh, writing to his Sunday school teacher. I, I, I wrote that in part because my mother taught fifth grade Sunday school forever in our church in Lacrosse, Crosse. And um, I would have high school classmates 40, 50 years after that saying, Oh, I remember your mom That's uh, nice. and, and how gracious she was.
0: How beautiful! So think, Everybody doesn't yeah. get that gift. You might not have known at that age what a remarkable thing that was happening to you, huh?
1: No, you really don't. <laughs> and and especially, you know, I I've been a, a boy all my life, and at that age, you you don't want to show you're interested. Um, but I I thought where where would you turn if um, you're experiencing, as some people do, the panic that you know, there's something wrong with me? Am I crazy? Am I not? all right with God? Am I not all right with myself? Um, go back through your life and remember those people who were gracious, and um, as somebody put it once, they were God with skin on. Um, and so I wrote this devotional, and, and I cried when I got done with it. <laughs> um, and sometimes we need to cry. Yeah, and I, uh, one of the suggestions I made with this is— um, Uh, Your your Mrs. Fielding, write a letter to, um, I think, J.J. Peterson was his name. What would you do if you were this Sunday school teacher? You heard from this older man now um, wondering, uh, does God really love me? And I'm hoping as as I um, wrote that and as I reread it, I think, what would I say? What would I want her to say?
0: And you didn't work that into being a devotional?
1: That, well, let's see what I, I wrote. Um, <laughs> who are the people who have been God's voice for you in your life journey? Think about how they spoke and what makes them significant for you. Or um, you talk with a friend about people in your life who have been mm-hmm. avenues for you to hear or see or trust God. What did they say or do that gave you clues about God's love? How were they similar? How were they different? And it's a way, I think, also for us to be grateful. Mm-hmm. We remember those, those folks. Um, Gladys Peterson was my favorite Sunday school teacher. She was an old woman who worked in a, a clothing factory in La Crosse, um, moved it from the farm in Wisconsin, uh, was always poor. Um, but, oh, my, she loved God, and she loved children, and I remember when our church had its 150th anniversary, my brother wrote, I saw the pictures of the pastors on the wall. Where was Gladys?
0: <laughs> She's a strong woman she, behind the scenes.
1: She, she belonged there. She um, taught us about self-worth, you know, from the, all, the, all of the essentially middle-class standards of 1950s, 60s, La Crosse, Wisconsin. She would be considered a failure. But we never thought of her as that, and she never thought of herself as that, as far as we could tell, because she um, knew that God loved her, she knew that she loved her students, and she knew that uh, this earth was a good place for her to be at this point, and she was going somewhere else that would be good.
0: How do you explain to people in mourning that guilt can be a very helpful human emotion?
1: Well, if they feel guilt and they feel guilty about feeling guilt, I would say, D- don't worry. For some, you know, uh, the guilt is, is for something they really should feel guilty about. Let me tell you in my own life, I had a brother who died when I was in fifth grade. Um, he was 21. He was born with spina bifida and um, uh, at a time when you kept handicapped people aside. And just as I was getting to the point of being a rotten fifth grader, um, I realized that I could get in good with some people by making fun of him. And uh, his name was Chris, and I remember calling him Chrissy Cripple. Oh. Uh, awful, awful stuff. And um, he was the first person I knew closely who died. And um, it took me a while. It, it took me decades realize the guilt that I felt uh, for treating Chris that way. Although Chris was a marvelous, brilliant human being and gracious. And so one night um, uh, in my prayers, I just broke into tears and I said, Chris, forgive me. And uh, I I felt a release. So at that point, that guilt was good. Um, And what it did, that particular guilt is it connected me to my brother again, And it connected me to grace and forgiveness. The trouble would come as if you think people ought to feel guilty, and the Church has been doing that for a long time. So you don't try to summon up guilt in a person who's grieving, but if they're expressing it, just to let them know that's okay. Uh, This is natural. This is natural. Um, And if they're in a Christian tradition that honors... Um, you know, confession and forgiveness, to offer that as a possibility. Um, a lot of Christians aren't, um, but ways to assure them that you know, guilt often is real guilt. And if they used to say, what's the one thing needed for forgiveness? Sin. <laughs> so that, that rings true for some people experiencing um, guilt and their griefs.
0: I think you explained that perfectly. It's straightforward, but there's also wise wisdom and honest compassion there, that when you're really struggling with the death of a loved one, you can't really talk to them. And it's like you said, you talk to your brother in prayer, also with the guidance mm-hmm. of God, to help to help the forgiveness come into your life, something really, really very important to do. Are you okay mm-hmm. if I read your poem here, Talking to Grief?
1: I, that's one of my favorites. Oh, yes, I
0: love it, too. You have it at the very, very back of the book. I won't give it away, but I guess I will. It's in 52, <laughs> the very last devotional. You have a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful poem here. Okay, this is Talking to Grief.
1: Yep, and that's by Denise Levertov. I just love it.
0: Oh, okay, right. There she is. Yeah. Denise, Yeah, that's wonderful. I love giving credit where credit is due. Denise uh-huh. Levertov, L-E-V-E-R-T-O-V. Here goes. Ah, grief. I should not treat you like a homeless dog who comes to the back door for a crust, for a meatless bone. I should trust you. I should coax you into the house and give you your own corner, a worn mat to lie on, your own water dish. You think I don't know you've been living under my porch? You long for your real place to be readied before winter comes. You need your name, your collar, and tag. You need to write the worn-off intruders to consider my house your own, and me your person, and yourself my own dog. What speaks to you in that?
1: I forget who it was, one of the Christian current Christian thinkers. Not everybody will agree with that, says, grief when it comes like any visitor, you should welcome him for his stay. And that, that conversation um, with, with grief as a person, as a thing, is, is something, not just as a sort of emotion floating off in the distance, but as a, a, a reality you encounter. Um, and yeah. as, as Denise Levertov does, talking to it as that stray dog, you know, come on in. Um, you you deserve a home. Let's let's get used to each other before you become not just a, a dog at the door, but my companion who who shares life and love with me.
0: Beautiful. I'm speaking with Pastor Brent Christensen, the author of the Good Grief Devotional: 52 Weeks Towards Hope. I'm holding this book, and it has this nice, soft cover. And hopefully when your publisher got one of these to you, you opened the box and thought, mm, that cover, it's sumptuous, it feels good, it makes you want to crack it open, it smells good. What feedback have you received about your book?
1: Well, it's only been out since January, or since February. Um, i have I mentioned the feedback I got from the pastor of my former parish, And I am in a study uh, with uh, older men in my new congregation. It's fun being a layperson. And several of them have experienced um, uh, losses, spouses in their life, and I've shared that book with them. I also wrote a a book of poetry um, dealing with my own um, diagnosis with cancer that deals with that grieving. And between the two of them, several men said, you know, this is the first time I've been able to grieve. And that made me feel uh, as though I'd done something worthwhile. And, and the ability to grieve not as a way of saying, oh, no, things are no good, but as saying, okay, this is okay to grieve. Something, something bad has happened, and I feel sad, and I'm, I am not unfaithful in that. But it's good to be sad because the sun will rise one of these mornings.
0: It certainly will. Well, you've been listening to KKPZ, 1330 AM, The Truth. I want to thank my guest, Pastor Brent Christensen, talking to me all the way from Northfield, Minnesota. His book, The Good Grief Devotional, 52 Weeks Towards Hope. Take a look for him at fortresspress.com. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.